Well, this summer, we've been spending some time with the minor prophets. Light preaching this summer, right? Well, so far, we have delved into the book of Micah, Amos, Ezekiel, although he was a major prophet, and Haggai. Now, unfortunately, these books don't get a lot of attention in preaching and studying. They're often overlooked and misunderstood. I can't remember the last time someone came up to me and said, I am doing this study in Nahum and it is rocking my world. But what we do sometimes is we often take one or two verses from the prophets and we say, oh, that, I like that. And sometimes we might put it in a plaque and hang it on the wall. We might get a magnet, put it in our car. We take a few verses out, but we don't look at the whole context in which that verse was written. And we miss some really important messages from God. So this morning, what I'm gonna do is um, to get us started here, I'm gonna read a verse from the Minor Prophets, okay? After I read it, I'm going to ask you, which prophet? And then you're gonna shout back to me, which prophet, okay? Are you ready? Here we go. He has shown you, old man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Which prophet? Oh, you guys are good. All right, let's keep going. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord. Which prophet? Malachi, there we go. How about this one? In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. Which prophet? Jonah. And how about this one? The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Which prophet? Zephaniah, that's right. And Zephaniah is who we are going to be spending time with today. Now, if you look at Zephaniah, he starts out with this kind of like, this is who I am. This is my family lineage. It says that the word of the Lord came to Zephaniah, son of Cushi, son of Gedaliah, son of Amariah, son of Hezekiah. That's a long line of fathers. And I think this dedicated genealogy is to affirm Zephaniah's connection to who we think King Hezekiah. And as we read in Zephaniah, we realize he speaks a lot of Jerusalem, indicating that he probably prophesied there quite a bit. He um, speaks a lot about the, the temple worship, suggesting that he has a familiarity with religious culture, Israel's religious culture. So all this together, all these facts are together, tell us that Zephaniah had firsthand knowledge of the political and the religious climate into which he is prophesying into. Zephaniah's name means hidden with God. And this becomes a significant message in his prophecy. Well, as Pastor Steve was saying, you know, we're going to be preaching from the minor prophets. We had, 
you know, we could pick from 12. And so as I was thinking, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to look into this. I'm going to spend some time with this one. All of a sudden, somebody else said they were taking it. And then I thought, okay, I'll go. And so I started to panic and I just chose Zephaniah. I'm like, oh, three chapters? I can do this. And I haven't spent a lot of time in Zephaniah. I'm up for an adventure. Come on, Zephaniah, let's do it. And then I started reading it and I'm like, what in the world? How did I pick this one? As I started reading it, chapters one and two and half of three, there was so much of this God's impending judgment of the Lord filled with divine anger and wrath that I started feeling a little unsettled. And he doesn't mince words. I mean, right after his introduction, he says, I'm gonna wipe you all out. Every man, every animal, every bird in the air, every fish in the sea, wiped out. I'm like, oh, this is great. All right. But then he keeps going. And he says, I mean, the, the, the language is so strong. He says, I will stretch out my hand against Judah. I will bring such distress. I will punish. Zephaniah depicts this day of this great lamentation in which even strong men cry out. It's a day that the Lord's anger is going to be unleashed and bringing terrible anguish and distress and darkness and gloom and shrouded in clouds and blackness. I'm like, Lord, what am I going to do with this? And then it continues. I always like to see, okay, this is what we see in the text. What do we hear in the text? Here's what we hear. The sounds that will accompany the day of the Lord's judgment. It says that we will hear cries from the fish gate, wailing in the streets, loud crashes of towers and battle cries. And as I immersed myself in these words, guys, I couldn't help but feel a discomfort, almost kind of flinching, wanting to kind of shield myself from God's wrath and wanting to kind of keep those phrases hidden. Have you ever experienced this when reading about God's wrath and his judgment? Maybe you're like me and you have this sense of like, ah, let's just quickly skip over those and let's get to the love and the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness. However, we know that God's wrath is an integral part of his character. And it's important that we do not only choose the parts of his character or embrace the parts of the aspects of his character that make us comfortable. We need all of who God is in our lives. Why might we feel embarrassed and inclined to hide God's judgment and wrath? There might be various reasons for you in this room but for me, when I sat with this, it took me a while to get to this. Let me just tell you that this word didn't come to me just very long ago. I'm like three chapters, come on, Lord. But as I sat with it, I realized that I was equating God's anger with human anger. And I heard him say that in my spirit, God, Vicki, you are equating my anger with human anger. 
You see, part of my own story that I tend to keep hidden and I don't, I don't like talking about it was growing up with a perpetually angry father. And if any of you in this room have grown up with people who are angry, I just want you to know that I hear you, I see you, I know the scars that it can leave. I never understood the reason behind my dad's anger. I just knew he was always angry. And I often kind of walked on pins and needles because I didn't know when it was going to explode. I was ashamed of it. I was embarrassed of it. I didn't want to ask people over to my house because I didn't know what they might say or do, that he might explode at them. Or I didn't want them to see the holes in our walls that came from his fits of rage. You see, this was the anger that I knew, and I was connecting with God. J.I. Packer writes a book called Knowing God, and in it, he has a chapter about God's wrath, and I want to read this to you because it helped me. God's wrath in the Bible is never capricious, self-indulgent, irritable, or morally ignoble like human anger often is. Instead, it is a righteous and necessary response to objective moral evil. God is only angry when anger is warranted. God's anger is not like human anger. God's anger is always warranted. And so I went back to the text and I started reading and I see what is happening here. Zephaniah's message serves as a warning to the people that God had lots of reasons to be angry with their moral evils. He was displeased with their idolatry, their pride, their injustice, and their disobedience. God was angry with how they mistreated others, especially his chosen ones, the ones who had remained obedient. And part of the scripture that was read today is in chapter three. In some versions, it's entitled Sewer City. And as I read it, I was thinking to myself, wow, these could be nations around our world today where he talks about lions. He says that the leaders are like lions hunting down their victims. And the judges are like ravenous wolves at evening, leaving no trace of their prey. The prophets are arrogant liars. And the priests divide the temples by disregarding God's temple. So yes, God has reason for this anger in the text. And so the people of Zephaniah's day are warned about God's anger. And instead of changing they actively chose to face this wrath. They turned their backs on following the Lord. They neither were seeking him or inquiring of him. In fact, they said, ah, God doesn't really do anything good or bad. He doesn't, he's not active. They wanted to do things their way without God, defying him and placing themselves against God. So consequently, God allowed them to have their desires. People do not find themselves subject to God's wrath 
unless they have willingly chosen to be. God's wrath involves giving people what they have chosen with all the implications, nothing more and nothing less. And then I started thinking, I think another reason sometimes we might feel inclined to conceal God's anger is due to the misconception that the God of the Old Testament, we feel is God, he's a God of full of anger and wrath and judgment. And the God of the New Testament comes with this love and this mercy and grace. However, scripture teaches us that God does not change. The God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament, they're full of the, the same God. They are both full of anger and wrath and judgment and love and mercy and grace. When we examine the words of Jesus, we hear that he gets angry right in the temple. And why does he? Because they were defying the temple. They were treating people wrong. And so, yes, he gets angry. And here's the other thing about Jesus. He speaks of hell and judgment probably more than any New Testament speaker. And I think he does so, so much because he wants to save us from that destruction. The New Testament narrative, we witness judgment where judgment is delivered. It falls upon the Jews for rejecting Christ. It, it falls upon Ananias and Sapphira for deceiving the Holy Spirit. And upon the Christians in Corinth who faced illnesses and sometimes death for their blatant irreverence for those who want to take the Lord's Supper. So we may feel that we want to hide these expressions of God's wrath, but it's vital that we do not. And here's why we cannot hide God's wrath. God's wrath protects. Zephaniah emphasized that God's wrath and judgment and anger towards sin is done so with God's gracious nature in mind. God's anger is always motivated by love and protection. In chapter two, he says, he tells the people, I want you to seek the Lord, seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you will be hidden from the Lord's anger. God was providing protection for those who remained faithful. And Zephaniah also warns that he protects us from those who mistreat other people. He specifically, pretty strongly, addresses the Moabites and the Ammonites for their bullying, insults, and threats directed at his chosen ones. He proclaims that Moab will face a fate similar to, to Sodom and the Ammonites face a, a fate similar to Gomorrah. He says that these nations will be transformed into a wasteland full of weeds and salt pits. And moreover though, God says that he is going to allow his children to take over the people and the land. You see, God ensures victory for those seeking God, granting them possession of their enemies who terrorize them. So God says, you don't mess with my kids. God protects us. And so as I was meditating on that and reading that, it, it brought about a personal story that came to my mind where there was a father's anger and love for his child. 
is he, after marrying my husband, Steve, I came to know a father who loved his children so much. He loved his boys. And then when his wives came into the picture, he loved his girls. And he told us that over and over. And we felt like he was our dad. And he, was, he loved us like he had known us from the moment we exited the womb. We, just, we have felt that way for him. But one day I was at the house and I overheard Steve's dad engaged in a pretty heated conversation on the phone. And the tone of his voice revealed this growing wrath, which surprised me because I had never witnessed Steve's dad get angry before. And so I was curious and I kept listening. And I heard him issuing a warning to the person on the other end of the line. He said, I'm gonna hang up. And soon after I heard the the sound of the phone slamming against the wall. As I cautiously approached the corner, I asked Steve, are you okay? And he disclosed that it was my dad on the other end of the line who had been speaking ill of me. And this made Steve's dad angry and mad that I was being maligned unjustly. And then, He hugged me and he tenderly said, I don't know who he was talking about, but I know my girl and no one talks about her like that in my presence. And so you can imagine this was the first time that I had witnessed my father-in-law's anger and it was solely to protect me. And so this memory and this experience granted me a new understanding of anger. Anger that seeks justice, anger that defends loved ones, fights for moral values, and advocates for those who are facing mistreatment. So not only does God's judgment protect us because he loves us, but God's wrath saves us. Just like in Zephaniah's day, we live in a fallen world that has been dramatically broken by sin and it doesn't function in the way that God intended it. Paul tells us that the world is groaning as it waits for redemption. The world isn't operating according to its original design. And we are surrounded, friends, by temptation and evil every day. And these temptations play into the sin and the weakness that still lives inside of us and is being progressively eradicated by God's anger at the situations that we are in and the bestowal of his transforming grace. You see, sometimes we can hear these messages about God's wrath and his anger, and we can think, yeah, that's for outside. No, friends, we need it for us as well. This is why God urges his people to seek righteousness and humility. We need to pray for our our vulnerability and our weakness to recognize the enemy's deceptions. I'm not sure where I heard this. I think it might've been in a a devotion that I read, but I wrote it in one of my journals and I think it's so good for this, this part right here. It says, the scary deception of sin is that at the point of sinning, sin doesn't look all that sinful. Let me read that again. 
The scary deception of sin is that at the point of sinning, sin doesn't look all that sinful. What God says to avoid doesn't always seem like something we should avoid. Let's remember back in Genesis, did God really say that you shouldn't eat of the tree? Well, I don't know. I mean, it looks kind of good. Maybe I should. What God said is evil doesn't always appear so evil. And this is what's happening in Zephaniah's day. Guys, they think their worship is awesome. Having festivals up on the roof, worshiping the stars instead of the one who made the stars. And just like we talked about earlier, we need protection from our own blind eyes and our wandering hearts. And Zephaniah, he reminds us that we have that protection, that we are not alone, that we have a mighty warrior who comes to save us, church. And that brings me to our third point of why we cannot hide God's wrath, because it is the gospel message. When we share Jesus with people, we cannot leave out God's wrath. The Christian faith is that Jesus Christ, God's son, took the punishment of our sin upon himself. His death on the cross shows God's love and his mercy and his anger at sin and evil. On the cross, Jesus carries the weight of God's justice and paid the penalty for our sins because he was angry that we were so lost in them. He becomes, Jesus becomes the means through which God's merciful anger is expressed and our forgiveness is obtained. Friends, if God were incapable of anger, there would be no cross. And so the cross is where both God's justice and mercy come together when God expresses love through wrath. By sharing the gospel, we acknowledge and we address God's wrath instead of trying to hide it. Through faith in Jesus, we can receive forgiveness and reconcile with God and have a restored relationship with him. Zephaniah's name means God hides. And just like we heard from Colossians, we are hidden in Christ, meaning we are forever protected and the scripture was read today of this message of hope where God takes away our punishment. Sing, O daughter, shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all of your heart. Daughter Jerusalem, the Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. On that day, they will say to Jerusalem, do not fear, do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord, your God, the mighty warrior, is who saves. He will take great delight in you. And in his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but he will rejoice over you with singing. One of my favorite saints of this church was Anne Glenn. She was a cherished member of our church who passed away in 2014. Anne was not only a beloved mother, and wife, but she was one of the most exceptional school teachers you would ever meet. Those who had the privilege of teaching alongside Anne, or if you were a student, 
in her classroom, you would say she was outstanding in her field. But she had a no-nonsense approach to her classroom, and she maintained order with precision. But her students held her in high esteem, and many said, she's my favorite teacher. So as a school teacher, I asked Anne, Anne, show me your ways. What's your secret? And she said, Vicki, I've got three words. I'm firm, I'm fair, and with a smile, she said, I'm fun. And I think that that encapsulates Zephaniah's message about who God is to us. He is firm in his wrath. He is fair in his justice. And with joy and anticipation, it is fun to think of God singing over us. I imagine God having fun rejoicing and singing over his chosen ones.